Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, I'm David Rothkopf, and welcome to Deep State Radio. We are broadcasting from the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK here in your nation's capital, Washington, D.C. And with me in the studio right now are Georgetown University's Rosa Brooks, the Financial Times' Edward Luce, and the New York Times' David Sanger, and via special remote connection to his fabulous estate in the south of France. We have former Undersecretary of State for Economic Affairs, Robert Hormatz. Hi, Bob. Hello. Great to be with you all. Well, we're glad to have you here. And I think we're going to start, as we often do, with a review of where things stand in Trumplandia. You know that comedy show that Fred Armisen does where it says, put a bird on it? Um no, you guys are all too old to even know what Portlandia is, aren't you? That's really We're pathetic. too old? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have watched dude. Portlandia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ed, and, Ed and I are very young. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, Rosa is. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. David's like sitting there. No, I watched my mother the car last night. Anyway. Um, so we've had, you know, another one of these, you know, sort of Trump weeks where literally every three hours... There's been some new big breaking revelation, the most recent set of which were revelations that seem to suggest, lo and behold, despite everything that Donald Trump has said, that maybe the Mueller investigation has something to do with Donald Trump. Gee, <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, they keep saying it doesn't. And but, you know, there do seem to be, you know, lists of emails in which they want to sort of see. Um, the emails that have gone to Trump. And, of course, he lost staff last week, and Jared Kushner's in a mess, although apparently not such a mess that keeps him out of meetings with the Israeli prime minister. Um, and so let me turn to you, David, and you know, give me your sense of the state of play. What are you expecting? So we got three big baskets of Trump troubles out here, and I would put those baskets as staff hitting the exits, right, inconsistency on policy, within 24-hour periods in which you say one thing to members of the Senate and another thing to, say, the NRA visitor who's in the Oval Office the next day. And then the third category is the Mueller investigation. So let's take them in order. On the staff exit side, uh, his biggest problem, of course, is that Hope Hicks uh, has left. Who's going to steam his pants? Well, that's the least of the issues because you can probably find somebody. No, who Stephen you... Miller will steam his <laughs> pants. <laughs> There's no question while he's wearing them. Right. Um, you can. It does raise an yes, interesting issue. Yes, boss. It? <laughs> yes, boss. I will steam your pants again. <laughs> and so the big problem out here is that Hope Hicks was one of the very few people on earth 
who could talk him down from uh, when he was um, getting ready to go do something remarkably uh, ill-advised or tweet something out. Sort of makes you wonder what would the tweets have looked like had Hope Hicks not been there. Right. Well, we're, we're going to find out. We're about to go find. Actually, I think no, we did find out <laughs> as of this morning. So, um, uh, so that's that's number one, and it's really interesting question. She had been planning to leave. She told everybody for a while. So, why did she make, decide to do it last week in the midst of all that? I suspect that at some point or another, her lawyers or friends said to her, "You are." Um, so close in to everything that's happening. She sat just outside the Oval Office. You are so close into everything that's happening that if you stay, you're just going to be a continuing target for the Mueller investigation because basically Hope Hicks heard everything, saw every piece of paper, saw who was coming in and out of the Oval, and her testimony was going to become incredibly central. Then there are the policy back and forths. No, no, wait. Right? No, no. Don't Those are three baskets. I'd okay. love to go to all three baskets. We're not going to. And No, we will. We will. But we're, we're just going to take our time. Let's just take one at a time, you know, because, you know, you talk about Hope Hicks as the personnel issue. But, of course, I was thinking about this as Hope Hicks left. And then I thought, well, who are the people close to the president? You've got the chief of staff, John Kelly. You've got well, the he's national... physically close to the president. Well, I'm not I sure you can talk but about But I'm talking anything. about the key yeah. jobs, yeah. right? You've got John Kelly. You've got the National Security Advisor, H.R. Mattis. You've got um, the H. Secretary. Excuse me. You've just combined <laughs> the two people who are going to probably keep us out of war with with North Korea. Well, I would, I would, honestly, I'm not sure McMaster falls in that category. Um, we've got Tillerson. Um, we've got... Um, uh, Rex Kelly. All, you know, well, I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> and as I sort of describe it Jared all. Jared and Ivanka. And Jared and Ivanka. And they're all, except Mattis, rumored to be leaving, were rumored to leave, might leave. Or just had their security clearances yanked. Yeah. The, I mean, right. it's it's he's going to be him, Stephen Miller, steaming his pants. Steaming his pants. And, really, and, that's all that matters. He's made that very clear. That's the clear tone of his tweets is, as long as I have Steve Miller here to steam my pants... Uh, this White I'm House, I'm, I'm having the time of my life. This is fun. Well, and now you know who they've got, Ed, is they also have Peter Navarro, who, as I pointed out on Twitter, is the Stephen Miller of international trade. Indeed, death by China, Navarro. Um, who has just for the first time really cracked or seemingly cracked the inner circle, which he was not part of up until a few days ago, actually. It's, it's, it's a He's shrinking inner circle. Sort of moving, moving up while others are sort of... On uh, and limbo. Well, well, no, no. That's as the, as Rosa makes the point. As the inner circle shrinks, <laughs> you get to be on the inner circle. Wait long enough, you'll be on the inner circle. The outer circle becomes the inner. Yeah, but but Bob, you're a, a professional. I mean, you've been in like fifteen different administrations. You oh, you know. David. Well, a lot. That's not true. He <laughs> skipped the Cleveland administration. He wasn't in it. Okay? No. <laughs> the Truman administration. No, but like you've you've been there. You've been in, in, in Democratic administrations. You've been in Republican administrations. You've had top international economic um, jobs in, in all of these things. When you see a guy like Peter Navarro move to the inner circle, like what does it tell you? Well, there is a, a deeper problem of which this is an important part, and that is the process of decision-making is really in disarray. 
traditionally, when major decisions are made, there's an orderly process for vetting the views of a variety of people, the pros and cons. There's consultations with the Congress. There's consultations with the other members of the cabinet. And there is a lot of, of work done in advance to prepare people for the decision. What happened here, apparently, is that one or two people, Peter Navarro certainly being one of them, decided they were going to go around or try to preempt the decision-making process because there was no structure uh, in any case. So they went to the president, they went directly, and it looked hurried. Uh, people weren't consulted. Republicans on the Hill weren't consulted. There was a hastily called meeting of steel executives. But all the pros and cons did not get the normal vetting that in every administration I'm familiar with occurs before a decision is made. So as a result, you get ad hocism, and you don't have the groundwork laid for the decision. And all the implications that we're now finding uh, emerging from people who don't like this decision are, are becoming uh, the, the sort of top news story. A lot of this could have been avoided by having consultations beforehand. Well, but, you know, David, one of the things that strikes me about this is that um, the uh, bulk of the advice that Trump was getting was not to do this. And that what was happening uh, in, in, in the White House was the Hope Hicks thing and everything else. And Trump was kind of pissed off. And he kind of lashed out with this trade thing against the advice of Gary Cohn, against the advice of a lot of these other people. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts were on that. I think – sorry. No, go I'll go ahead. Up. I was talking I, to David, but he seems to be someplace yeah. else here. No, I thought that that was actually for him. I'm sorry. No, no. I call him Ed. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can call me David. My middle name's Ed. Okay. I've got an uncle you, called David. This is extremely complicated. Either one of you may respond to this. Uh, the, I'll just quickly slip in what I was going to say, which is that this is one area trade where, in fact, Trump's key players, his principals, Wilbur Ross, Lighthizer, and then, of course, now the newly inner-circled Peter Navarro, are actually with Trump's instincts. I mean, on, on the other sort of big issues, you know, uh, Tillerson and, and Mattis tend to form an alliance sometimes with McMaster, sometimes without him, against Trump's um, worst instincts. But on trade, um, his, his big, his well, big and principles... Gary, and Gary Cohn is... Gary Cohn is, 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 is the one who's, you know, rumoured to be thinking of resigning because of this. This uh, um, would then leave nobody to argue the case against protectionism. But we're arguing this as if he was making the decision on policy grounds. The night that he brought in the reporters to say this... He had just been told that Hope Hicks was leaving. He had gotten bad news on the Mueller front. And Jared, and, had, Jared had just lost his, his uh, security clearance. Right? And he was put on the new diet of no burgers and eating salads. Well, oh, I would, I would launch a tariff then. Yeah, that would. I mean, I was about to say, I'd feel the same way he did, right? According according to Bloomberg, he's been put on a new diet and it made him cranky. Okay, well, all these things made him cranky, and he felt managed. And what you usually discover with the president is that 
when he'll get out ahead of a decision is usually to protest to his own people that he's not going to feel like he's being managed. And what was he being told here? Well, sir, we need two weeks of legal review to determine whether or not this is affecting allies who don't actually shouldn't actually be hit by these tariffs and all that. He doesn't want to hear any of that. He says, I committed to this in the campaign. I'm just going to do it in hopes of forcing the process. Right. Although China's what, our eighth largest steel supplier? Tenth largest, the second yes. largest, and, and if two to two to four percent of our steel comes from China, although some comes indirectly from China. But South oh, Korea is a significant supplier. Yeah, number three, Brazil's two, Canada's one, uh, North South right. Korea's three. And yes. we, we have other issues. I keep I keep reading that we have other issues with the South nah. Koreans right now. So you when know. they have issues, it yeah. might not be the moment to pull the rug out from under South Korea, right? Well, moreover, moreover, the, the, the it's it's useful to go back and take a minute to understand what this uh, legislation is. This comes from the Trade Expansion Act. Expansion, I emphasize. Of, of 1962, which was the, the act that uh, authorized the Kennedy round. It was supposed to be designed in the middle of the Cold War to deal with very troublesome adversaries. Um, and it was supposed to identify issues where the United States' national security would be adversely affected by the imports or actions of other countries. It was supposed to be carried out in conjunction with the Secretary of Defense. The Secretary of Defense is supposed to be consulted because it's a national security-related provision of the act. So the, the question is, where does, uh, is it written that Canadian steel or aluminum or Korean steel or aluminum um, are not uh, secure sources for the United States? These are clearly major allies. Moreover, there is, I've never seen an, an argument that the United States cannot fight a war with our capacity today to, in terms of the, the ability to produce steel or aluminum. So the case was not made very clearly that this is a fundamental security issue. It may be an important trade issue for certain industries, and no doubt it is, and no doubt it will help certain industries. But in terms of fundamental security, the way it was meant when the act was established, it's very far from that uh, provision of sort of the founding fathers of the Kennedy realm. Should just say that China is the second largest uh, import source of imports for um, aluminium. I'm going to say aluminium in a very, well, very <laughs> deliberate. Don't you love it when he does that? Because that's, no, no, like, that's how it's spelled. Every deep state nerd <laughs> out there say, is like getting out you, of a van. They can't can say advertisement or something. Could you say something else for us? But it, wasn't, <laughs> but it wasn't justified on that ground. It was justified on how on justified on economic Indeed. grounds of helping these industries. Right, but but that was Bob as it I. I I used to be a former trade official myself, and the term we used was bullshit. I mean, this is just bullshit. He's just he's trying to play to a base. He has his whole view of trade is we're getting screwed by the world. That's his whole the totality of his view. And he's going to pander to his base by 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 doing Rosa. Do I have this wrong? Well, even his, even the base to which he's pandering is uh, seems to be smart enough to have some questions in their mind about whether this is really going to help them. Which the answer clearly is, it's not. It's 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 going to accomplish almost nothing of value uh, 
economically and and the political blowback and the economic blowback and the and the probably next two decades if it goes through of litigation the WTO and so forth are, are going to be bad for the United States on every possible dimension I, I think that the the interesting question right now one of the many interesting questions is will Congress lie down and let Trump merrily dance on uh, on their on their heads, uh, which is what they've tended to do, or will uh, will Congress, as as uh, Paul Ryan has sort of kind of maybe a little bit indicated, actually for once stand up and say no 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 that's too crazy even for us. Yeah, the I'd love. Is he could have gotten their support if it had been targeted. He probably would have gotten support. It's the blanket nature and the impact on all the steel and all the aluminum and all of our allies that I think makes a, a lot of people cringe. And I would say one other issue to bear in mind, if it goes to the WTO and if, as I suspect, the WTO will find the United States' actions here not in compliance, then does he decide he's going to ditch the WTO, too? And that is a a bigger, broader issue, which really has much greater ramifications. So we have to bear that in mind. That's sort of where this is headed, because clearly... I think it's fairly clear he would lose on this in the WTO. And it's fairly clear that his interest in showing his base that the WTO, the ultimate globalist organization in his mind, uh, can be ignored would be pretty high. I think he might... He might rank the WTO slightly below the signatories of the Paris Accord for having sovereign uh, jurisdiction over American policy. Well, you know, Ed, you know, one of the things that Rosa alludes to this that's quite striking about this is that Paul Ryan um, has seemed to finally answer the question of where the line is that he just will not let Trump cross because he's OK with racism. And he seems to be perfectly fine with rampant corruption throughout the U.S. government. He's also fine with Trump not enforcing sanctions against Russia. And in fact, he's also fine with uh, apparently the State Department not spending the money it has allocated to deal with Russia um, or actually doing anything to stop this attack on democracy. Uh, And he's perfectly fine, of course, with the NRI Um, blocking all attempts to stop the murder of children. But free trade... (laughs) Well, free trade, you know, this is this is this is a bridge too far. He's fine with Trump insofar as big business are fine with Trump and big business were fine with tax cuts and and Ryan delivered the tax cuts. But business is not fine with the trade war. The stock market's not you know, the argument Gary Cohn kept making against such measures was it will affect the stock market. It has and it will to a far greater degree if this escalates, as I suspect it will. If it, it escalates, was. I think the stock market is looking at this as a signal that it might well escalate. Look what would happen if, if he were to, to bail out of the WTO. The WTO was what helped yeah. to prevent the crisis of 2008. Well, it don't, to it, a major set of trade wars. The, the, the market's very well aware of that. When it's had all these ramifications, right, the Germans have been outraged. The the Canadians have been outraged. The can flabbergasted, flabbergasted, flabbergasted. They, they are targeting Paul Ryan's district with the Harley Davidson. Um, well, the Germans are. The Germans uh, went after the Europeans Harley are. Davidson. Um, right. The and and, and bourbon, bourbon, Kentucky, right. Mitch McConnell. <laughs> so so they have sort of maybe personal local reasons. When now the with Canadians the have said they're going after Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio. These guys are good, and you know, they, and, <laughs> and targeted, and targeted, and. 
and and they remember that in the south is where all of the European automakers are, uh, with their non-union factories, employing far more people than employ uh, steel workers. And this sort of gets to the Donald Trump conception of what the American economy is. I mean, he said to me when we did one of the interviews during the campaign that his vision of America at its best was in the 1950s when David started up the Deep State Radio and it was still <laughs> yeah. in a small, you know, <laughs> low wattage uh, uh, radio station. And he mowed the lawn outside the studio. And Bob but, was going through confirmation. <laughs> yeah, hearings. right. Yeah. Right. Bob was going through his second set of confirmation <laughs> hearings. Because <laughs> remember, Truman wouldn't appoint him, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, this is his image. So if you go to him and you say, sir, we understand you're trying to save the steel industry, but you're actually going to harm many more American workers and you're going to help. It's not likely to be a calculus he's going to want to hear about. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to want advice. He wants to express himself. He well, he said, didn't really hear from the people who would be adversely affected. He, he heard from the steel people, but a lot of the people were so shocked by this that it's only at this point that they're quantifying the impact on them and they're expressing that. Well, so, 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 Had there been an orderly process beforehand, those people should have been brought in as along with the steel people. Bob, the, that phrase, say. orderly process, that's yes. so quaint. That's so, you're, so, you're so pre-Trump. You're so old Washington. <laughs> know, old Washington. But, but Bob, one of the things that did get through to him was the 400-point drop in the stock market the morning after this leaked out. Well, now they point to the fact the market's up in the last couple of days. So they this, the sting of the market decline has not been nearly as daunting as a lot of them had. Yeah, but the pushback seems to be real. You know, I, yeah, I saw, real. I saw, you know, no less a personage than Ian Bremmer um, tweeting out something, you know, yesterday or today to the effect that um, he thought the odd, it was even odds whether this will actually happen. That's the great thing about disorderly processes is that they don't necessarily result in what they began with. And we've seen that with other Trump initiatives that well, have shocked people. Now, now watch how I do this, which David... Yes. Brings us back to your second basket. Ah, how skillful! <laughs> Thank this you. Is great. Yeah, but but you know that basket is where almost every policy initiative of this administration is either contradicted shortly thereafter by the president or contradicted by a member of his cabinet to clarify where the president stands, or contradicted by his press secretary, who says the president is just joking, you know, like when he says he wants to be president for life. Um, and and so this, this speaks to Bob's point. There are very few areas where there is consistent policy, whether it's international economics or security or foreign policy, in this administration week to week. Well, that's that's true. And part of that is you know, his love of chaos. Part of it is that he is he views himself as having reformulated the Republican Party. So if Paul Ryan is out there complaining about tariffs, it's because Paul Ryan is a member of the Republican Party from the pre-Trump era and hasn't gotten the memo. 
of where the party is. And the party not having stood up to him on a number of different things anything. has been uh, anything. That would be an example. So <laughs> so the greatest one here was what he said in the cabinet meeting uh, – I'm sorry, in the meeting with the senators the other day where he basically seemed – to take Diane Feinstein's positions on uh, gun control uh, issues and banning assault only for about rifles seven seconds, and all that. So. That's right. Until he met the NRA person the next day, and it reminded right. me of those people who would tell us during the campaign that when he ran um, the uh, the Trump uh, Corporation, the realty operation, people would camp out in his outer office to be the last one to talk to him before he made a decision because they knew the last one to talk to him was. This reminds me of the Clinton administration, by the way. Because it, it happened sometimes with Clinton where somebody would say something to him and he'd throw a line into a speech and it would change the policy. Yeah. Do, we, do we know of any example where it's the first person to talk to them who has the most influence? Do we know of any example? Moses. Moses, yeah. To God spoke to Moses. God You're spoke right. to Moses. You're right. Okay. We don't always know who the first person to talk to him was. We we sometimes do find out who the last person was. So, well, did you? More, there is there is that notion of transparency on this because we do know who really got to him last, which really un- underscores the notion that you need an orderly process. <laughs> and I I would think though that when he gets criticism for all these flips and changes. It would argue, at least in Kelly's mind, as it probably does, that you need some measure of of order in in, in making uh, in making decisions. But and Bob, isn't that what Kelly? Isn't that what Kelly was here for? I mean, yes, the whole that, idea yes. six months ago was that if Kelly did nothing else, he was going to like put regular order. I mean, this guy was an army officer. He's used to briefing books and all that. And so what have we learned? We've learned that Kelly was incapable of doing that. We've learned that when McMaster gives him, you know, the standard military, here are three options, sir, that we've worked up. We'd like to talk you through one, two, and three. He's feeling managed and rebels against that. So- that's why we think that if you actually still believe orderly process is the key here, you should probably remain out of the country for the next well, three you know, years. I, I gotta say, um, Rosa, <laughs> I was I was watching this morning, um, um, Morning Joe or something, and they have on it Richard Haas, and so Richard Haas has apparently written an article for the Daily Beast. Now Richard Haas is writing for the Daily Beast. Go, you know, go figure. Um, and in the article, he says, you know, the Trump administration needs a reboot. And, you know, they need some new people and, and some <laughs> right, new approaches. Because, because really, it's just so stagnant. There's been so little turnover. It's, it, it's, oh. it was like, I was like, what the? <laughs> They're getting <laughs> auto reboot here. Because right, you need but they to just they can't. They can't help. You know, there's just certain people who can't help themselves sort of to normalize. Yeah. Their, 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 their default is. Well, this is government, so let's respond the way we respond to all governments. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's I think that's yeah, right. The, the, the thing with David, David's point is right. Um, you need you need. Uh, it, it may be an illusion to think about this, but it it, it sort of undermines the the uh, particularly as a lot of his closer allies leave. You know, is he going to just make more and more decisions just on the on the fly, or is he going to try to figure out some way of utilizing the sort of second circle that we were talking about. You were going to say that? Well, no, I think I think that our I, I never thought that uh, Trump left to himself would would make consistent 
decisions, much less sensible decisions. I think the the only optimistic theory was that he might find being president so boring that he would essentially cede the decision making to, you know, John Kelly or whoever who or Mike Pence, who would make decisions that I wouldn't like, but at least would make them in some reasonably coherent, consistent manner. Orderly process. I think I think, in fact, what we've seen so far is that Trump uh, will neither make coherent, consistent decisions on his own, nor nor has he shown the slightest willingness, however boring it turns out he finds. I think he does find it terribly boring, but he's not willing to delegate it either because that's too irritating to him. So I, th- I think we absolutely can expect another uh, minimum of a year or so, and unfortunately, probably the better part of three years of, of the same. Well, it seems to me, though, that it's a pretty even contest at, between the personnel process being in chaos and the policy process being in chaos. Now, that's not an accident, but it does seem like both are roughly in the same place of being complete shitstorm. Uh, it does, yeah. I'm not sure whether I can add much to that. I agree with you. It's got to um, be very hard on on whatever, not only his inner circle, but his his outer circle and his in the middle circle too. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw that interview with Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross uh, on CNN, where he's asked, you know, what are the odds that these tariffs are really going to go through? And he kind of says. Whatever the president decides to decide will be what happens. And they say, whenever well, give us an estimate. And he it. says, I don't know. You know, he's just yeah, whatever he decides. He said, he said that it was it'll meet the press. Or yeah, yeah. Right. I thought I thought his statement there should be cut out right. and hung up over the computers of every member of the administration, because it was basically that's the president's decision today. Tomorrow oh, might it, be different. Here it is. Yeah. He said he said ultimately decides is the decision. He said, I said what he said. He said if he says something different, it'll be something different different. Right. And, and there right. you have the Trump administration. Approach so, you were looking for the Trump doctrine? There that it is. is. That is the Trump doctrine. <laughs> it is what it is, unless it's something else in which case. <laughs> yeah. On the trade issue, one would hope that, that, that this works to the advantage of better policy. And as much as new views that he had not taken account of are now being heard and heard in a relatively clear in a relatively clear way. I do want to very senior officials in his own party. Hey, so can I can I, I ask I, a question of, of two former trade officials here? Yeah. Because Paul Ryan suggested uh, uh, just before this was being recorded that Congress might try to get in the way of these of these tariffs being uh, imposed. What can Congress do to get in the way of these tariffs being imposed? I ask two former. <laughs> Commerce officials. Well, th- I know for a fact that Dr. Hormatz was actually reading the Trade Act of 1962 I was. just moments ago. I he wrote the Trade Act of 1962. Why has he got to read it? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, Bob, yes. what, what's your sense of what Congress could do to undo that? I suppose. Well, it's very hard. It gives the president a great deal of authority. He gets a recommendation from the Secretary of Commerce. It's supposed to be done in conjunction with the defense secretary. I don't see much evidence that that happened. But afterwards, he has almost carte blanche to do what he wants to impose the penalties or the remedies. Well, I mean, the other thing is that the the Congress— They can amend the act. But the other thing is they can just not do anything on anything else, too. You know, they have the ability to use their well, leverage. they do the that naturally. Of- <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's what they're good at. Um, but no, they, you know, they- I, I mean— They could amend the act. They could amend the act, right. Which I mean, he'd have to sign. Con- no, well, have- Congress has the— clear constitutional authority to make decisions on this. They've delegated to the president on these particular issues. They can undelegate any old time they want. If he signs it. It's not... 
completely clear what would happen in a constitutional battle if the president didn't sign it. I, I, I mean, I mean, it would take forever to sort out. But uh, I actually think on this one, Congress would win in the end, be- the, because would, because they would, they the the. They, they might win in the end, but it could be a very long Yeah, no, I think that's right. But I think this is one where the the, in the, the constitutional dele- the constitutional grant of authority is so crystal clear. Now, we, we have five minutes here, David, and I did want to get to your third basket. What was that? Ah, the third basket. <laughs> oh, the the third, third basket was the Mueller investigation. Oh, the Mueller investigation. Remember that? Yeah. This is guy. He was Mueller. appointed yeah. – by after the attorney general recused himself, right? And, oh, is that, now the attorney general uh, is the guy is he in? It's like that the, the president called Mr. Magoo. He was the one who he apparently referred to as Mr. Magoo. He actually made a pretty good. He, I have to say, Trump had two very good lines that I read about at the Gridiron Club. I don't go to the Gridiron Club. Uh, he had two very good lines. To your credits, right? Indeed. One of one of them was that Jared was a little late because he couldn't get through security. I thought that was a damn good line. I wonder, like, did he write this himself? Because if he did, my respect for him went up. Doubtful. Unlikely. Unlikely, okay. The second good line was that that he had offered uh, Sessions a ride over to the dinner and he recused himself. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, well, that's pretty funny. But but I have to say this, and and in the interest of justice, um, Sessions is the Keebler elf, or he's Dobby, the house elf from Harry Potter, but he's not Mr. Magoo. Wilbur Ross is Mr. Magoo. If you look at a picture of Mr. Magoo and look at a picture of Wilbur Ross beside them, they're the same person, and I think it's unfair. Did Mr. Magoo fall asleep a lot? Oh well, he couldn't see, and he bumped into. I don't know. I think Jeff Sessions. I would go with Jeff Sessions as Mr. Magoo personally. Well, this is a debate. And, you know, I encourage... Speaking these- of 1950s characters, I mean, Mr. M- when I was a kid, Mr. Magoo was kind of like an old cartoon. It was. It was yeah. an old cartoon. Me too. Um, but, but Bob? Yeah, Bob. <laughs> I'm, I was never a Mr. Magoo you're a shelly temple man well i think what we'll do with your third basket is that we'll get to it on the next episode and we'll talk about the Mueller the Mueller investigation on the next episode i think we've really covered in the first two baskets here and covering the personnel issues um and the policy issues um you know, a sense of what's wrong here, because at the end of the day, the way governments work is policy, process, politics and people. And in, in, in this case, each one of those areas is, is, is pretty screwed up. But I do want to give everybody a brief chance on the personnel side to speak on the Jared Kushner situation. Um, since apparently Jared Kushner, stripped of his security clearance, in being investigated for multiple ethics charges, um, is was invited into the meeting with Bibi. So here's what you need to remember about this. The security clearance means nothing if the president of the United States decides on any particular issue that uh, he's cleared. And as he all, did with Kislyak, right? All, right. all the all the president all the president has to do is clear any individual who can have no security clearance. Because I know of some cases in which 
reporters were cleared to see various things because the government was trying to convince them not to publish them. No kidding. No kidding. It's happened. <laughs> so um, so any president at any time could do that. And that's why in the end, he can sort of override either broadly or on issue by issue what Kelly's done. Well, that's that's quite interesting. Do you have an opinion on Jared Kushner, uh, Rosa? <laughs> He can, but he would have to, and he would have to do it very explicitly. And the question, I think, for Trump, whose whose loyalty to anyone, even Jared Kushner, doesn't strike me as being all that deep. Is is he willing to? Is he willing to bother? Right? Because unless he's willing every single time to say really clearly, yes, I'm waiving it. Yes, I'm clearing him over and over and over again. Sort of the normal course of doing business, and at the in the White House. Uh, in the situation room uh, uh, and at all the departments and agencies is that most of the issues that Kushner is supposedly working on are going to be held at a higher level of clearance than he currently possesses. So, so, so you'd have to keep doing it over and over and over. And it would be a big deal. And I, and I think that there would be a political cost. I, I don't think clearly I don't th- I don't think Trump is super rational about political costs. If huh. he, <laughs> but that being said, I also don't think he at the end of the day, is super loyal to Jared. I, my, my guess is that Jared is going to get cut loose because he's just too much bothered of Trump at this point. Well, you know, one of the things that we haven't really discussed about fake news is how it works in sort of family situations. And, you know, you've got the situation where there were a couple of stories over the weekend where Trump was saying to one set of people, you know, like Kelly, help me get rid of Jared. And to to Jared and Ivanka, no, no, stay around. I really want you to stay around. And of course, if you create the idea of fake news and your daughter starts Doesn't weeping, sound like every family Thanksgiving you've ever <laughs> right, known about, right? But, it was, but well, we never used really, the term we fake want news. You, we want you in the kitchen, no, <laughs> right? But you know, he goes to yeah. Ivanka and he goes, "Oh no, that's fake news. I would never say, honestly, honey, I'd yeah. never say to Kelly." Throw these guys so out. So it's one thing to try to model your government on a business. It's another thing to try to model your government on a family business. Well, that's where we are. That's where we are. Is a is a, is a, is a, is the as a country being run like a family business and not a good one? Right. This was not a successful family business <laughs> like to begin with. Like a family with. business with a capital F. And you're taking the worst of the Trump family business and throwing in the Kushner family business, which is a mess, right? Yeah, uh, and uh, you know it's got a, a year until its mortgage, its one point two billion dollar mortgage comes due on six 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 Fifth Avenue, um, one point two billion dollars, and it's a desperately loss making white elephant, and both Kushner and his dad are trying every which way to leverage his government position and foreign government's desire to get to Trump via him to get a loan, to get a bailout, to get some kind of a um, a reprieve there. And I think the closer that clock ticks, the greater the temptations will be for Jared to abuse um, to abuse this deep, deep conflict of interest. Well, he seems to have been you know, pretty drawn to that already. He's been drawn to it serially since before uh, Trump was inaugurated. I mean, he didn't disclose meetings with heads of Russian development banks, you know, on his di- government disclosure forms and so forth. But, you know, the clock is ticking. There's one year now. Um, the the, the, the white the mo- elephant bleeds white. In the movie, then 666 Fifth Avenue collapses into itself in a year and opens up a gateway to hell. 
you know, and, and, <laughs> and you see the yeah. devil, the claws, the, the claws emerging right out of and the pit. And pulling them back down into the hole. Or to the Lexington Avenue subway. <laughs> Which, same thing. Sim, very similar. Very, very similar. Well, deep state nerds, we have covered some of the issues that you want to talk about, but we know that Touché. there are more. And so please join us again on the next episode of Deep State Radio as we cover those other sets of issues with this same wonderful gang of people, including Bob Hormatz in New York City and here in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of Snark, David Sanger, Ed Luce, and the inimitable Rosa Brooks. Thank you very much. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.